Ronaldinho to Messi. Will he get that first goal for Barcelona? Remember the name, Lionel Messi, at the age of 17, scores his first goal for Barcelona. Back to Mbappé! What a great day it's been for him! Oh, spectacular Thiago! Haaland, look, very accomplished player himself, and Haaland in behind goes for goal! What a start to his Dortmund career! One chance, one goal! Hello and welcome to the Pure Football European podcast. In our third episode, we're at the final week of fixtures in the Champions League and we're taking a focus at Group D. It's a bit of an outlier because it's the only one where every team can still qualify. Each team has a mixed bag so far. We have Tottenham on eight points to top the group. Sporting and Frankfurt are tied in second and third on seven points and Marseille sitting fourth, but they're only two points behind Spurs with six. Today we're joined by Reese, a Spurs fan and someone you know very well from the pod. And also we've got a special guest in Marseille fan, Patrick Toussaint. So if we look at the results so far in this group, the first round of fixtures brought Tottenham 2, Marseille 0, Frankfurt 0, Sporting 3. Then we had Sporting 2, Tottenham 0 and Frankfurt 1, Marseille 0. Marseille got their first win in game week three with a 4-1 win at home to Sporting, while Frankfurt and Tottenham brought out a 0-0 draw. Then Tottenham won 3-2 against Frankfurt, while Marseille got a second win against Sporting, winning 2-0 in Portugal. Last week, we saw Tottenham thought they'd won it against Sporting with a last-minute goal, but VAR ruled that out very controversially, and the game ended 1-1, and Frankfurt got back to winning ways with a 2-1 win against Marseille. Now we'll go into the episode. Firstly, we'll look at each team individually before looking at Tottenham versus Marseille in more detail. So we obviously have our resident Tottenham fan in Reese um, with us today. How are you, Reese? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Feeling feeling a bit better after after Spurs rescued that at the weekend. So um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing too badly. And we have a special guest, a Marseille fan, and Patrick Toussaint. Many of you will know him as Juno on Twitter. How are you, Patrick? Yeah, I'm anxious. Um, in the league, a couple of results haven't gone away, so I'm not coming back off a win. Unlike Spurs, I think we got surprised by Strasbourg over the weekend. We're leading 2-0 at halftime and game ended 2-2. They pulled it back at the death, so feeling rough. So we'll, we'll first look at Marseille in general rather than looking towards the game. So it was a bit of a turbulent summer for Marseille, I'd say. They lost key players in Bubakar Camera and Sam Paoli left quite suddenly in, in the summer. How has Igor Tudor fared since he's came in and, and some of the newer signings, Patrick? Yeah, I think the summer was, um, like you said, it was turbulent. It was a bit unexpected. I think Sampoli left kind of unexpectedly. And then there were players who we were, we were expecting to lose, Kamara and Saliba, of course. We were never going to be able to keep them. And then Sampoli kind of asked for players who we weren't going to be able to afford. He spoke directly with the board and then things kind of just fell off and then when Tudo came in I think everyone knows about how messy the preseason was losing to Norwich and then I think Middlesbrough or I think we lost to two championship teams so we didn't have high hopes but the season started well I think Tudo proved all of us wrong got the fans back on his side then as the summer kind of neared its end late August a couple of players were a bit unhappy with Tudo so there was, there, there, you know, there were talks of a, a mutiny in the back room. And then it wasn't helped by some of the players' parents, um, Jason. His dad kind of 
came and spoke up about how his son has been mistreated and kind of caused this unnecessary division within the dressing room. That's something which we didn't really need. But I thought we were doing really well up until the match against Ajaxia. Things were still going good. Things were still looking up. We're just three points behind PSG, who at the start of the season, everyone thought they were unassailable, but we're doing really, really well. And then, I don't know, things just kind of started falling off. Uh, With Tudo, I think he's still got a number of fans on his back. But like I said, the division which was caused within the dressing room kind of started leaking to to the fan base where you now have this pro-Sampoli and anti-Tudor coalitions forming. And it's far from healthy. I I think it's the last thing the fan base needs, the last thing the dressing room needs going into perhaps the most crucial time of, of our season. Patrick, I was just wondering if the recent results have been a culmination of sort of poorer performances maybe earlier in the season. That's something that that um, we'll come to talk about with Spurs later, but have these results been kind of as a result of poor performances? Have they maybe been slightly unlucky or did you see them coming? They've definitely been been unlucky, honestly. Um, I think against Ajaxia, we played some of the best football we've played this season and then we just somehow lost 2-1. The Tudor really flexed his tactical muscles in that game and we honestly should have bagged it um, in the first half, but then that we just lost that one. And then game against PSG was always going to be tough. We expected a heavy defeat coming off with only a 1-0 loss was honestly really, really good. I think we played really well in the second half. Then against Lens, we were the better side for 70, 75 minutes. And then we just lost all of our composure, started showing signs of fatigue. And then game just kind of went away from us. And then, and then this Saturday against Strasbourg, first half was, again, really, really good football. We should have scored 4-5-0. Tudo himself said it. We should have won 5-0 in the first half. And then in the second half, they just scored. I don't want to call them fluky, fluky goals, but we lost our concentration once and then we conceded for the for the two. And then the second one was the deflection kind of made the shot unstoppable. So it was very, very unlucky. But I think we've been playing really, really well. I think the fans know that previously this is something which would have kind of gotten the fans to be angry at the coach, be angry at the players, but the fans identify that the players are playing really, really well. Some of them, that is, uh, most of them, I'll say most of them, uh, most of the players are playing really well. Tudor is trying his absolute best to work with not really the the most glamorous squad. And at the end of it all, you know, at the end of the day, we're just unlucky, honestly. It's, it's just bad luck. So, Patrick, that must give you some confidence that you can turn things around in terms of results then, because... I think, again, as we'll mention with Spurs, it's maybe been more of a culmination of poor performances. The, the results have been coming. So you must feel some solace in knowing that you, you've not been badly beaten in these games. Yeah, in the league, we definitely feel like the results will come. We know that these sets of this set of players have what it takes. And we know that tactically, we have what it takes to, to beat most of the teams which we're going to face for the remainder of the season. I think the painful part is knowing that we, we were so close to kind of clinging onto the podium and now we have to just scrap with other teams which are kind of luckier i'll say luckier but most of them deserve deserve their wins um i was hoping to kind of go into the the world cup with a buffer between us and the third place team but now we yeah, i think we're, we're fifth or sixth now so so it's tough but i honestly do believe that after the world cup and if we get in you know a player or two in in january to kind of solidify the team especially the the back line i definitely think we'll We'll have a good season. There's a bit of panic within the fan base right now, um, but the panic is mostly just for for tomorrow's game because everyone knows how important that game is. Not just for for the rest of the season, but also from a financial perspective. The fans are very lucid to to Marseille's current situation. 
but yeah, in the league, I think we're all calm. Everyone knows that this this group of players has what it takes. If we do switch our focus to the Champions League, obviously it didn't start as well as would you would hope for Marseille. They got beat in their first two games. I'm just wondering what the kind of mood was after those two games, if you thought you were out, and then what's kind of switched since then? There was the two big wins against Sporting. I just wonder if there was, was there a tactical switch or or players just standing up and being counted? What kind of changed from those two first games to where you are now? I think um, going into the first game, there was, after that um, defeat to Spurs, there was still a feeling of, um, you know, before the game, there was a feeling of, you know, here we go again, um, expecting no wins or just one win um, like we did in the, I think we've only had more than two wins in three of our last nine European campaigns. So um, the fans were a bit touchy, but I think after the Spurs game, we could see that there's definitely a plan. And we knew that against Frank, we, we definitely thought we could get something against against Frankfurt. And then, you know, the, the Spurs game, I think we only lost after after the red card. I think um, Reese might elaborate more on that one, but we only lost, we, we felt like we lost because of the red card. So we knew that against Frankfurt, we could get something. And then against Frankfurt, it was a slim loss. The tactics going into that game were were good, in my opinion. I think Marseille play, this season we played 3-4-2-1, which is, we, we were playing a, a back three with Sampel and then kind of shifted to a 4-3-3, which wasn't really a 4-3-3 because the, the left back was, it was Luan Perez, who's kind of a, he was, he was kind of a, a back three center back playing at left back. So the the shape was more or less the similar one to what we had last season. But what Marseille do this season off the ball is, you know, as soon as we lose the ball in the offensive third, we kind of drop into this, we all drop into this mid block where we try to turn the midfield into a maze trying to make it as hard as possible for the opposition to play out of that. And then as soon as we win it back, we almost like we confuse the opposition and we we try to keep our one of the wing backs, um, whether Tavares or close, as wide as possible, hugging the touchline as much as possible. So when we get up, we break really fast. And then we tried to do that against Spurs, didn't really work out. And then we tried to do it against Frankfurt. I thought it worked well in the first half and then in the second half, I think they scored late in in the first half, 44th minute, and then I think in the second half they just kept at us arm, kept us at at arm's length, and we 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 panicked as the game went on. We just didn't keep our cool. The passes weren't sticking. The couldn't string three, four, five good passes and movements together, and then that game kind of went. But we still felt like we could do if we just do exactly what we've done against Spurs and against Frankfurt in the next game. Then especially the sporting double headers then we'd get a good result and the sporting games the, the first one um, at home started terribly conceded in 40 seconds but we didn't lose hope and then we kind of got lucky finally Adan just kicked the ball into into Sanchez and then we were back in the game and then they got a red card so with that red card I think we weren't able to see the best of, of sporting, but we played to our best tactically. And, you know, every player was giving 100% and got a got a win in that one. And then second game against sporting, we just, it was just a, almost the exact same game where they got a red card and we ended up dominating the match. I think they played with nine men for an hour, maybe 45 minutes. And I think we just drained them completely and we took that game. So I was expecting us to try and do the same against Frankfurt. But I think this time we were kind of this in this unlucky streak 
So things didn't go away against against Frankfurt, where they did the exact same thing they did in the in the first match. They capitalized off the the few mistakes which we were making, and then they just let us have the ball in areas which weren't posing any danger to them. We couldn't get into any position where we could trouble the the keeper. So some of the players were having the games of their lives. Evan Dika played probably the best game I've seen from from a centre back in in that group who wasn't member so yeah it's it, it it is painful it is um you know you kind of feel like you you deserve more you know you think about one two three ironing up one two three mistakes and you'd be top of the table but here we are at the bottom room but it is that group it is that weird group where we could still finish top with with a good result tomorrow yeah of course it's so tight in there so we'll we'll look at the, th- the three other teams in the group and then we'll come back and look at marseille and spurs as a fixture um, so, Reese, I'll move on to you and Tottenham. How's the general mood around Spurs at the moment? Yeah, so the general mood for Spurs fans, I, I would say it's quite lukewarm, maybe like a bit, a bit uninspired at the moment. And I think that is largely down to the the kind of boring style of football we've been playing this season. We've just not hit the hit the heights that we we did last year in terms of the the kind of the style and the kind of dangerous dangerous transitions that we had. So. Recently, when I've been asked about Spurs, it's usually been a question of these have been great results and kind of poor performances and will, will that kind of catch up on Spurs? And I would think it's fair to say that recently it has. So since we last podded about um, about the European football, we have seen Spurs be absolutely battered by Man United, which I think is fair to say was the worst performance of the Conte era so far. And then we went on to lose our first home game since March, and that was to Newcastle. And... I think Newcastle probably probably deserved it, and um, yeah, and then the Sporting game uh, midweek was the one where I mean everyone saw it. Kane's ninety fifth minute winner being ruled off by VAR, and it was probably fair, but it was absolutely gut wrenching to see that to see, to celebrate like that and then have it have it taken away, and yeah, then the most recent game was the Bournemouth game at the weekend that I mentioned earlier, and then um, going two 0 down to Bournemouth, who are one should be one of the the worst teams in the league. It's never good, but to bring it back and win three two was very pleasing to see, even if slightly worrying that we we ended up down down in the first place. Yeah, so I think if we'd had that that last minute winner against Sporting uh, stand and it had been two kind of exciting wins, we might have had a more positive outlook coming into this game. But I still think there's some some kind of lingering negativity there and apprehension at our poor away record in Europe over the last gosh like two or three years even we've really not not feared well on our travels in Europe I know we've talked about it on the podcast the previous one actually there's a lot of discussion around Conte in Europe and the struggles I'm just wondering what your perspective has been on on the group so far from Tottenham's point of view you've had some highs with with wins against Marseille and the 3-2 against Frankfurt, but there's also been lows, like the defeat away in Portugal to Sporting. So I just wonder what your, your thoughts on the grip as a whole has been for Spurs so far. Yeah, so I, I don't the highs haven't been all that high, I would say. So the Marseille game stands out. I actually couldn't watch it live because I was on a flight back from Portugal at the time. But um, I watched it back afterwards and there was a lot of, a lot of kind of negativity from Spurs fans about the way that we set out in that game. And as uh, Patrick mentioned, uh, Son was thrown goal uh, early second half, forty sixth minute, I think it was. And I mean, it was Son thrown goal, so I mean, there's a good chance he could have he could have scored a chance. And he was taken down, and it was a red card for Chancellor and Bemba, and that did change the game. 
we ended up coming out to our winners after two crosses in and headers from Richarlison, um, which were good goals. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to assess these games when, you know, it's not a, a level playing field. So that, that was obviously a good win, but kind of leaves you wondering how would that have gone if it hadn't been for the red. And then, yeah, the, the second Frankfurt game was the 3-1 win. And that should have been a, a fairly a fairly routine kind of affair, but it was quite nerve-wracking with the way it kind of Spurs managed to make a meal of it, of what should have been a, neat, a fairly simple situation. Again, down to 10 men in the opposition, and they still somehow almost came back into the game with some some good chances. So I wouldn't say there's been any kind of... Uh, any ma- majorly positive performances and we've managed to make this group about as hard as I think anyone could have imagined we would have so so yeah it's it's definitely not been an inspiring campaign so far but you know what like it's in our hands to go and win the group so I, I feel a little bit um, entitled to be to be moaning too much about it. We'll now move on to Frankfurt, who sit third in the group with seven points. They started the campaign off with a 4-2-3-1, away from what they, how they usually play, and suffered a 3-0 defeat at home to Sporting. As a result of this, Oliver Glasner switched back to their more natural 3-4-3, and that saw sort of a turn in their fortunes, with two wins, a draw, and a loss, being the 3-2 that Reese has just mentioned away against Spurs, and what will be their, probably the most difficult game Um I'm just wondering, Patrick, if, is there anything that you've seen of, of Frankfurt that you've liked so far in this campaign? Um, anything noticeable about them? So the thing I, um, that has impressed me most about Frankfurt is that they they are a very high energy team. Um, they pressed us quite quite high in the first game and forced us into a lot of mistakes. And they their transitions um, kind of punished us a lot. Um, the, the goal that they scored, like I said, we we do try to turn this the, the midfield into this. Um, almost like an impenetrable maze for for the opposition. We we crowd it and then we try to make it impossible. But Frankfurt um, went past our, our midfield really really fast, and they they were in between the our lines in almost no time. And the goal that Lindstrom scored in the first leg, um, you could you could almost see it coming through the transition through to how fast they were they were breaking through our lines repeatedly, and then. Dika on the ball was just um, best centre-back on the pitch. He dominated the, the game on and off the ball. He absolutely suffocated our, our attackers. And then as, as much as we tried to keep the midfield crowded and, and stuffed, he, he just always found a way to, to bypass it. And we had no answer for that. So um, another impressive thing was just kind of how they, they let us have the ball and we just couldn't do anything with it. They... First game, I think we had way more of the ball, and I think they noticed that we got into a bit of dangerous areas once or twice. And second game, they just didn't allow us to get into any threatening positions at all. And in the entire second half, I didn't, there wasn't a moment where I thought we were, we were getting back into this game because of just how well Frankfurt controlled the game, um, the positions that they were they were taking up, and just how they, they we 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 could pass the ball between ourselves, but we just couldn't get past. Their, their lines and um, that honestly that honestly I think that's that's when we we lost all hope we would, by the 60th minute we they kind of taken away all of our all of our hope of, of even getting back into that match so yeah that's what impressed me about um, Frankfurt particularly yeah so in terms of Frankfurt I, I don't feel like I have like 
all that much to say about them. I like some of their individuals. I think we'd spoken about um, Knauf in the last podcast and really liked him. And yeah, Ndeka is another one that um, that kind of stands out. I think he's actually been linked to a couple of Premier League clubs. I know that Spurs have had some links to him uh, in the summer. So so yeah, I, I wouldn't know to say much other than that they are very kind of German feeling. I think I don't know if that's a bit of a sort of cliche comment to make but they do seem to they do seem to have quite a lot of kind of stereotypically German characteristics in the terms of the sort of the pressing and the energy and the transitional style. Yeah I think at Echo they do feel very German they are so high energy they love transitions they're so fluid in possession too two of their players I really like are Kamada and um, Jesper Lindstrom feels like they just sort of float and find space and areas that can really hurt teams um yeah, so and and I really like that they have this sort of Chris Wilder, Sheffield United. You'll see their centre backs making runs into the box as well. I think they're a really fun team. Um, obviously they need they need to win in their last game to go through. Um, so that puts the onus on them to attack Sporting. Now moving on to Sporting. So they religiously play a three four three. It's the only thing they'll play in the league and in the Champions League. What is noticeable about them is how different they they rank in terms of how they play and how they defend in the league and then in, in the Champions League. So if you use Optus Stats Hub um, on the analyst, you can see in the league they're seen as slow and intricate. They like to dominate areas, and they're one of the more aggressive pressing teams in Portugal with a PPDA of around 8.5. But this is really different to how they've been in the Champions League. Their PPDA is nearly double, and they're ranked second lowest in the competition for high turnovers, so turnovers in the, in the final third. Reese, there's one player I think we need to talk about from a sporting perspective, and that's Marcus Edwards. He's obviously a Spurs Academy product. What have you made of his performances so far? Well, yeah, specifically in terms of how he's performed against Spurs, I've like as much as obviously I don't like to see players showing up against Spurs, it has been quite nice to see him sort of redeem himself almost. I think Spurs fans will remember Pochettino referring to him as like a mini Messi when he was in the when he first broke through into the first team. And that put a lot of pressure on him at the time. And a lot of people were quite critical of him. And he had a lot of the kind of usual questions about his attitude and these kind of things in his application. So it has been really nice to see see him kind of come good on that talent. I think that we'll probably be seeing them in in one of the top five leagues within the next the next eighteen months or so. So so yeah, I've I've really enjoyed him. Um, his goal against Spurs was exceptional, but his uh, standout moment of the campaign so far for me was the the chance against Spurs that he actually didn't manage to score. I think I don't know if you either of you remember it, but um, the absolute amazing run that he went on, and he and he, he unfortunately for him he couldn't finish it. But I think that just shows the kind of technical the, the technical ability he's got, the the close control. Um, and I think he's also shown in this kind of 10 role, that, he, that kind of false 10, sorry, false nine role that he's almost played. He's got a lot of kind of awareness as well. He's not just a, he's not just like a, a kind of showboat or a kind of a dribbler. He's got a lot of, a lot of strings to his bow. So yeah, I've really enjoyed this um, appearance on the, on the Champions League stage for, for Edwards. Now, Sporting's fortunes have varied very much from Tottenham to Marseille, Marseille beating them twice. Patrick, did you notice anything in this game, these games about how, how you could hurt them, where their weaknesses sort of lay? Okay, so against Sporting, I think it's hard to gauge um, how well Sporting normally play because in both games, they got really early red cards. In the first game, I think the keeper, Adan, was sent off for handling outside the, the penalty area. And then in the second game, this guy who was sent off in the 17th minute 
So in both of the games, they kind of had to play differently to how I imagine they they want to play because I know Ruben Amorim is one of the best, considered one of the best up-and-coming coaches in Europe. And in those games, I think we weren't able to see the best of what sporting have to offer, especially if they if they're a transition team, if if how well they they normally defend. But I think one thing I did notice was how well players like Trincao have improved compared to his time with Barcelona and and Wolves. Marcus Edwards taking up really interesting positions, playing central, stretching our, our our back lines. He can play centrally. He was playing on the flanks, swapping back and forth with with Trincao and. I think he, if you know, if Sporting are at full at full capacity at eleven, when I think Marcus Edwards um, is definitely one of the the bigger threats. I think Gonçalves. I think he will, he will be available for the match against Frankfurt, so he he will definitely also be another another really really big um big outlet for for, for Sporting. And it it is really really hard to say um how good they they were against us because in all honesty they, they weren't playing um in the first game. I think we really drain them and psychologically beat them down so second half they were just kind of playing to see the match out and then in the second game same thing kind of happened it, it was even worse because they got two red cards so um we barely got to see them attack we didn't let them have any of the any of the ball got to a point where we were just passing the ball amongst ourselves to kind of almost see out time and retain energy amongst ourselves as well so i think for sporting um, that's all i'd have to say We'll now move on to I'll say I'll say the big game, but both are big games in this group. But we're going to focus on Marseille versus Tottenham because we have our two fans here. So I'll start this off with a quote from uh, Matthew Valbuena, who is obviously a former Marseille player. He said, "I think Tottenham Hotspur Hotspur are a brittle team, definitely beatable. Marseille have the team to put in a great performance, stir things up, and play without pressure." I'll come to you first, Patrick. What's the what's the perspective and and the viewpoint of this game from from Marseille? Um, I think his take is definitely something which the fans feel um, deep down inside. I think they know, like I said, they know that this these players are are capable. But I think the fans are also really, really anxious leading up to the game. The talks in in the fan circles have been, you know, everyone's putting up different starting 11s. Everyone's kind of scared of which player is going to make that one mistake that kind of takes the game away from us. But I think Balbuena is speaking, and I know he's speaking as a fan, and I, I I do kind of relate to that because even in Marseille circles, we we do frequently make fun of of Spurs, even though we somehow have Spurs tendencies. So uh, I, I think definitely tomorrow's game is going to be the one game where every player is going to kind of have to conjure up that spirit of of that anti bottling because last last season we definitely managed to do it in the last game of the the penultimate weekends of the season I think the penultimate weekend of the of the season and the final weekend itself where we were on the brink of of fumbling European qualification so are we saying we've got a potential episode title here in the battle of the bottlers is that what, it, is that what it's going to be Patrick yeah <laughs> yeah because um even, even thinking of, of last season where we kind of didn't bottle in the league in the conference league we did definitely we did definitely fumble it because you know we were facing fire and and we made two absolutely comical mistakes um and then in front of goal we were just unable to put the ball in the back of the net losing three losing that game 3-2 was hilarious because we honestly should have won like 6-1 and then second, the the second leg, we're going, you know, we're back home, 
and all we need is a good result and then out of nowhere we just can't muster up that that courage to to go and you know play as as well as we would played in the first leg um we looked a shell of ourselves we looked a shell of the team that we were um when we were at, the, at our best over over the course of the season and uh, you know it was a full house at the velodrome and we still couldn't we we didn't have it in us at all and finally just went to the finals and that's honestly was it was a really shocking result you've mentioned that that obviously fans are nervous and then Valbuena said play without pressure i'm just wondering how you think um Tudor will approach the game from a tactical standpoint obviously Marseille are seen as the underdogs in this game from from the outside world and they do need to win do you expect them to sit back and try and play on the break or do you expect them to go for it from minute 1 because they do need that one I do think um Tudor will try to go for it. Um in, in the last game in the presser after the game he said he's he's been feeling this urge to to kind of change things up. So the Marseille that we've seen up to this point in the season is definitely going to is not going to be the same Marseille which we we'll see tomorrow because um he has kind of start, he he's felt that some of his the tactical tweaks that he's been he's been trying haven't been working. His substitutions have been frankly terrible on it and they've lost us a couple of of games and you know we lost control in the the last 20 25 minutes of games because of the substitutions and his midfield acts um the the pivot of Vertu and Hongje has probably been at the weakest point of of our season so far in in a team that relies heavily on on that mid block working they've been porous and they haven't been as as strong as Tudor definitely would have wanted them to be so he's been trying to kind of change that up and there's some links saying that Gendouzi will start in the pivot tomorrow that's where he played the best football of his career in my opinion um last season with some problems part of that you know the in the right side of that that pivot this season has been pushed up high um the results have been have been mixed but i think Gendouzi has is is still one of our better performers he's one of the few who hasn't hasn't faltered and hasn't slipped if you compare that to some of the other players who now you know touch on them in a bit I just found it interesting that you mentioned the the midfield pivot as being quite important um in in the sort of block this season and I just don't know what what you think um about them being porous uh, do you think that's something that Spurs could get at in terms of playing through like you know as as Spurs would like to kind of play out from the back really deep bring us on to you and then so try and cut through you do you think that is that's something that could be a, a problem for Marseille if you are porous in the middle do you think that's where Spurs could have some luck kind of on in transition yeah I definitely do like I said Vertonghen and Ronji haven't been stable and last season we were playing Gendouzi and Jason who are both very dynamic very technically astute they're also both very high energy very strong um players who they're very mobile as compared to Vertu and Ronji players who are somewhat static Vertu kind of likes to to slow the game down and that hasn't really worked out well in France or in the Champions League that was always Ronji's best ability you know his ability to kind of slow slow things down and dictate the pace of the game but when both of the members of your midfield pivot are you know want to do the same thing and they both want the game to to slow down and there's no one around them who can kind of protect them and give them that time then it becomes a problem if spurs can can get at that you know try to get the ball off that midfield pivot then i think that could be the biggest advantage and then when when off the ball Gendouzi and like I said Gendouzi and Jason were very very mobile so they were players who kind of knew how to to cut off passing lanes um neither of them were were pressing 
you know, pressing monsters or anything. They they were both really, really good at just kind of positioning themselves in, in areas where they could move the ball where Sampaoli wanted the ball to go. They could direct the ball towards um, the side where he knew Saliba could could defend really, really well. And this season, obviously, we don't have um, we don't have Saliba, so we we have tried to do things a bit differently, and it hasn't worked out as as well, especially in the Champions League. And like I said, um, if Spurs were able to get at Vertu and Rongier very, very quickly, um, like Frankfurt did, just try to bypass the midfield really, really fast, then I think that could be the best way of, of winning that game. I'll go back to the quote to, to bring the conversation over to, to recent Spurs. Valbuena described Tottenham as a brittle team. I think that's quite apt at the moment with the amount of injuries you have. So I'm just wondering what your your thoughts are on the game and and how you expect Spurs to line up in their depleted state. Yeah, so so on that, the the team that's going to face Marseille is going to have quite a big impact impact on that. So the three major doubts ahead of the game are Richarlison, Kulusevski, and Romero, all very important players. So I think that is quite quite massive to you know how the game might pan out and how Spurs how successful Spurs um will execute their their game plan. So I've said a lot of this before on on here and on other podcasts, but um, Spurs do become significantly more beatable in the absence of these guys, and I would single out Romero and Kulusevski as the kind of most like the the most prominent there. So yeah, I've watched article about Kulusevski many many times. Um, as Aaron and Case recently found out on on their Devils in the Details podcast, which I'll have to say, if you're a United fan, you should go and give a listen to. It's great. And um, yeah, that's because Kulusevski, he acts as this kind of link between the midfield and the attack. And he is just the, the best creative player on the side. Um, and that may be due to a lack of quality at wing back that we have. And yeah, the creative drop off from, from Richard, uh, to Richarlison or Lucas Moura is just huge. And yeah, in terms of Romero, who is the other, other player I mentioned, when we're playing out from the back, as Conti likes to, has drops his, drops his defenders really deep, um, play out from the back, draw pressure to try and create that space to transition into... Um, or to kind of create transitional situations to go into. So yeah, I think without Romero, who is the most pressure resistant, we just look a lot worse in the build-up and overall just makes it a much worse team because we can't create those situations um, where we're dangerous in transition. So I think this is largely because Damson Sanchez is, is the, the direct replacement for him um, and he is just vastly inferior uh, from a technical point of view, just doesn't have that passing range and the pressure resistance that Romero does. So, so yeah, I think they're they're the key points in terms of uh, the kind of absentees for Spurs. So you've mentioned there's obviously lots of injuries, and we saw in the first half at Bournemouth they really came to light for for Tottenham. What would you like to see done to kind of address those issues? Sure. So um, as I mentioned, I think Damson Sanchez coming in at right centre back for Romero would be a problem. Uh, and build up especially for us. So I think my solution to that would be what we saw against Bournemouth at the weekend where Eric Dyer um, came on and went out into the right centre-back role, um, which, I mean, he isn't perfect for, but he showed significantly more in possession than Sanchez, um, especially noticeable that he was um, quite he was quite a good crosser of the ball on overlaps. Um, and, you know, when you're the kind of on top in the game, um, that's something that we kind of, we kind of require of these wide centre backs. So I think um I would like to see, yeah, I would like to see uh Longley coming in in the central the center centre back position and um yeah Dyer going on to the right and then um, keeping Davis in the left there. So that would be how I would address the, the Romero problem. And 
as for the front three, I really, really hope I don't have to watch Lucas Moura um, again. He's, he's just been bad this season. He's looked, he's he's looked um, like he's almost lost a yard of his, his pace a little bit. And I mean, that was one of the few things that he was do- he had been doing well um, in recent times. So he was a little bit better against Bournemouth. But I would really just like to see Brian Heal given his chance. Um, I think he's earned it. Uh, I think he deserves that that uh, that spot on the right of the front three if we do opt for the three four three. Um, and that's just because I think he's the, the only guy that can offer the kind of uh, 1v1 ability and creative passing at anything close to Kulosevsky's level. Um, one thing I've particularly noticed with him is Kulosevsky does this kind of thing where he'll cut inside and from the kind of right half space, he can whip a really dangerous ball over to the back post. And we've seen a couple of times um, Brian Heal play in those kind of diagonals. And I think that's something that um, that's a kind of really useful weapon to have Uh from the right-hand side, because I think we lose that when we have Lucas there or even Richarlison, who is much more of a forward player and much less of a creative player when he's playing there. But again, he's all, he's all injured as well, so he's not even in the question for, for this game. And do you think that Lucas Moura might play even worse considering the election results in Brazil last night? Yeah, I think he'll be, he'll be absolutely gutted. Or, you know, maybe that'll give him some fire in his belly. So, so yeah, he, he definitely won't be, won't be a happy bunny. And as we so often do on this podcast and always get really wrong i'm gonna come to you both with with a prediction for the game tomorrow so i'll come to you first reese what do you expect to happen in france honestly i'm not confident uh with the kind of the players are missing the the way things have gone recently i just don't feel good to go into any game particularly i just want the world cup to come and for us to get that kind of mini preseason and kind of well with the players that we do have uh and and you know move on to this kind of season point two but yeah I am um, I could see I could see any result happening so this prediction is fairly pointless but I'm gonna say a draw and I think given like the way the group's sitting I think a draw would get his second place um so yeah I think I'm gonna say that I'm gonna I think a draw and then we'll end up getting a much tougher draw in the in the knockout stages I think is mine and if I need to give a score it'll be a both teams to score so I think 1-1 one, one or 2-2 two, two would be would be my guess Patrick yeah, I, I also think both teams will score but a draw obviously doesn't um, work for us so <laughs> hopefully not um, but at the same time I also kind of don't see us winning I think we do terribly under pressure it's even though it's not the same set of players I think it's a club mentality it's this shadow that hangs over it's like a cloud that hangs over over the the, the team and the the ambience of, of supporting Marseille is is pessimism and always expecting the worst so I think we I think we might lose 2-1 I think we have it in us to to get a goal I think we definitely can exploit Spurs weaknesses Tudor I, I trust in Tudor enough to to know that he can definitely exploit Spurs' weaknesses, but at the same time, I don't trust in our own players and you know the, the kind of bad luck that just follows us in these types of games um, has been following us for the entire season now. So, yeah, I I'm not positive. I'm not positive about that one. So, I'll go for a two-one loss. I think I'm just going to come in here because uh, I've. I had a, a tweet that I saw earlier that I think sums things up well from a Spurs point of view um, as to why there maybe isn't so much confidence. It's um, Jude Sommerfield, who's a, a Spurs supporting journalist, and he says, 
the infight to get Marseille means there's really no excuse for Tottenham not to qualify for the last 16 tomorrow. Then again, Spurs also got knocked out of the Europa League by a team whose manager was in prison. <laughs> and I think, to be honest, <laughs> it probably sums up how the lack of faith Spurs fans have um, and why we really don't know what way it's going to go. So that's everything. Thank you for listening to the Pure Football European podcast. And, and especially thank you to Patrick for coming on to join us. Um, Patrick, where can people find you if they want to? Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a pleasure to finally link up with you. On Twitter, you can find me at Junior Patrice. Um, for the few of you that use TikTok, you can find me at Toussaint underscore Pat. Yeah, uh, those are the only two social media um, platforms that I use these days. So thanks again, guys. No, thank you. And your your first TikTok shout out. So there we go. A, a pure football first. Um, Reese, <laughs> if they don't know by now, where can they find you? Sure. So uh, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you can get me at RT Jenke, and that is Jenke with a Y. And where can we find you, Danny? Yeah, thank you, Reese. Uh, you can find me at Calcio Danny on Twitter. And as always, if you do like the podcast, please follow Pure Football on Twitter and subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen. Thank you for, for listening today, and that's everything.